And we're live. Good evening, everybody. My name is Angela Humphreys. Um, please welcome my new guest tonight, Dr. Holly Higgins Wilcher. And um, if I sound a little distracted, I am because I'm experiencing echoes. So just ignore me and pay attention what the good doctor has to say this evening. So Dr. Holly, do we call you Dr. Higgins Wilcher or what, what do you prefer? You can just call me Holly if you okay. want. Dr. Wilcher. Dr. Holly, maybe? <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about your background so the public knows um, kind of where you're coming from um, about this recent school board meeting and you getting involved and just being more vocal about um, children's um, benefits versus risks in regards to this uh, culture, this these culture wars that we're experiencing. And I know you're a big advocate about um, child development and you recently became vocal in school board meetings about the mask issue, which is a very hot, volatile issue. So first, tell us about your background. I ramble. Um, mm, and welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Angela. It's a delight to be with you this evening. And uh, to answer your question, my, my background is a little multifaceted. I um, have a, a bachelor's degree uh, in psychology uh, with a minor in biology. Um, I went to school to study marine biology. So I have extensive um, uh, biological sciences training. But my last year, I took a neuroscience class in school and it changed my life learning how the brain works and how the brain develops in, in young children. And so I changed, shifted my course and then uh, got a master's degree in child uh, and family sciences and uh, uh, in child development and family sciences. And then after my master's, so I have extensive training in child development, uh, child development theory, um, social emotional development, early childhood mental health, uh, trauma, on young children, the effect of trauma, um, resilience in young children, the development of resilience. And then um, after a time out of my master's, I went to pursue, because I believe in public education so strongly, uh, I went to pursue a, a, a doctorate in education policy and leadership studies. So, okay, very so well rounded. Bit of a mix. I'm not a um, practicing medical physician. I am practicing natural, me uh, getting a degree in natural medicine right now. I'm studying. Okay. Wow. An aside, I didn't mention that, but um, you like so learning a little bit of everything: <laughs> biology, psychology, child development, which is pretty much what brings me to the the school board conversations. It's my concern about child development, and then my okay. advocacy for public education as well. Okay, so when was when was the first time you walked into a school board meeting? Was it just like after March of 2020? You got it. It was actually uh, March of this year. Um, okay, 2021 then. 20. Well, I I attended other school board meetings in attend uh, just to attend, but I hadn't spoken. Um, I wanted to be engaged in the, the process and learn uh, about uh, the different decisions that were being made for children and families. And I just wanted to be a part. I um, have lived in Wake County for uh, almost two years now. So I, I hadn't stepped into Wake County specifically before. Um, but speaking, the first time I had spoken was was this year in March of 2021, actually. Okay. So what, what initially was on your mind? Did anything change between then and now? Because I heard you more in the now um, time frame 
And I don't, I don't know, like if your viewpoints had changed or anything, or have you just been going since March advocating uh, for, like, I know the other day you shared a CT scan, mm -hmm. I think of a oxygen deprived brain versus a normal brain. I don't just oxygen yeah. access. Yeah. Brain? I don't even know what you would call it. No, that's so right. What did you start with? And then where are you now? I guess. So where I started with uh, with speaking was essentially about the, uh, the impacts of uh, lack of oxygen and oxygen deprivation to the brain and the neurobiology and the development and, and how the developing brain needs essential oxygens to the most metabolic organs, which the brain and the heart, which all of the young children's organs are metabolically very active. And so they need um, rich oxygenated blood. And I looked at the data and uh, was beginning to look at um, when I was seeing that the mask, the facial coverings were becoming more of a long-term thing and not this short-term, short, -term, short thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The two weeks went on and on, right? Yeah. You know, the hardest part of two weeks is 18 months. So mm -hmm. we, we, I, when I, when I'd seen like this short, I'd been a part, a large part of, you know, learning about um, just studying the research like everybody else, like what are the harms and what are the dangers and is there any risk to children? And uh, in the beginning wasn't as concerned initially about the very short term um, with uh, real strong um, uh, desensitization and helping children um, understand. But, you know, we know for very good reason, and I mentioned this in my first comments, that we banned Halloween masks or Halloween celebration masks years ago for very good reason because masks are, are scary to young children. And That's so, right. yeah. And we, we did this with based on very good science, logic, and reason. And we've kind of abandoned that reason and logic now in the face of new information. But um, what I was learning, I was looking at meta analytic research studies that were showing that children simply were not carriers of this virus and disease. And there's lots of famous studies out of Yale. Dr. Walter Gilliam did one, um, showed children are not vectors of disease in, in large, where large amounts of children are. So okay. I was I can bring up some of the research that you were um, wanting to talk about too, while you're talking, if that is helpful. Yeah, too. No, that's really helpful. And so I, I first started out talking about uh, the impact uh, of masks on brain development, um, psychologic, psycho, uh, the psychology, um, the psychological impacts to children, mental health, social and emotional, and everything that I had learned in my master's degree in child development training and social emotional development told me the critical window of of, ex of experience that young children have to develop the social and emotional competence or their mental health and how that's a precursor to cognitive development, academic success later. And what I saw that we, we were looking at one piece of data of health that really you can see in these studies here, um, the, the studies on the efficacy of face masks weren't um, compelling to me to, to believe that we were really doing a service to children by covering their faces for seven plus hours a day um, when the return on that investment and the risk reward just wasn't, wasn't coming through in the, in the data. For me. I see. So, yeah. Um, what is this down here? Let's see. 
So uh, this one shows the developmental cases across different countries um, after, before uh, mask mandates and after. And you can see that there is no correlation of a reduction in cases of uh, the, the virus uh, transmission or occurrence with the heightened mask increase. And so these are meta-analytic studies that are done all over the, the world um, showing uh, that the, the spikes in cases were not associated. You can see where they uh, or mandated the use of masks and then um, there, there's no association there. So it's, okay. it's, it's really compelling. And you know, the, the CT scan I shared the other day was um, based on an image that I'd seen. I didn't want to use um, Dr. Bruce Perry's without his permission, but I listened to, he's a famous trauma researcher and he talked about how a child who experiences a relationally poor environment um, will have a brain that's much smaller, like the one you saw on the CT scan, compared to a child who has a relationally rich environment where they see faces, they don't have uh, emotional trauma, or they're not triggered by stress or anxiety, um, or there's not a lot of cortisol being released into the brain. So those two images were to really show that I wanted just to, to correct that point that it wasn't to show oxygen deprivation to the brain. This could have been something that's okay. happening. What we know about those two images is that the one image was extreme sensory neglect, which is actually what we're doing in schools right now. They're children not being able to see the full faces of other young children, their peers is sensory neglect for them. Now, okay. is it, you know, on par with extreme sensory neglect? No, I showed those images to show the critical window of brain development that happens in early childhood. Okay. Well, I was so, in my own defense, I was so bothered by what was happening to you in the board meeting that um, it's amazing that I remembered any of it because I was like overcome by it with emotion. Like as I was, my husband thought the house was on fire or something, you know, and he's like, what? And I'm like, what they're doing to this lady at the Wake County School Board? I cannot believe it, you know? So yeah. I was, um, my emotions were very high. <laughs> so sorry if I misinterpreted I appreciate your images. <laughs> I appreciate your empathy and compassion. I was feeling pretty yucky myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for going to those meetings. We need more people who just um, are not afraid to speak out and do things so diplomatically. You, you just have a um, very kind disposition and... I feel like, you know, while Mahaffey, so so people just tuning in or whatever, or seeing or watching this after the fact, um, I'll play a video clip in a in a little bit here, where you can see that Dr. Wilcher was offered a face mask because hers was falling down a little bit, but there was backstory with that too. What can you share? What what happened with your mask? Um, sure. So and then what led to the incident yesterday? That's a good question, Angela. I, you know, recently realized that face coverings were required in the the meetings. The last time I had spoke, we were allowed to have a face covering, but when we got to the lectern, we could remove the face covering to speak. So when I arrived yesterday last night, this was news to me that we could not remove the face covering to speak. So I was not aware that um, I had not checked the face covering for speaking to see that it would stay. All I knew was that it needed to stay on 
while I was in the um, while I was in the meeting. And I have a, a medical exemption, and I chose to wear the mask anyway to power through because I, I if I have the chance to speak out for children and advocate for them, I will. But I, I was not prepared to wear the mask at the lectern. Or I probably would have been a little bit more prepared with a, a facial covering. Yeah, I it makes sense to me. So you weren't malicious. You weren't um, doing it. It, the mask wasn't falling because you were wanting it to fall. It just, no, you you had it for a very short term use. It may have not been the closest fit, but it was, you came prepared with one. I don't even, when I see them, I'm like, I'm throwing them in the trash. Um, I oftentimes am picking them up off the ground in public parking lots. So those are my encounters with masks personally. And you know, but, um, the mask worked just great sitting in the meeting. It was fine. It never fell. Um, but again, you know, these are the things about masks. It's, you know, if you, unless you test them when you're speaking, which I hadn't because I didn't think I was going to have to. Um, I, I wasn't having a problem at the hour up until I spoke. Right. right. Um, but when you did speak, oh, what happened? Yeah. Yeah, so you can see here, I'm talking about the importance of social emotional development and um, reciprocity and how seeing faces is cr crucial to that. And she hands me the mask and I, I'm clarifying, like, are you asking me to put this on? Because I don't know if she's doing it out of here. You can have this just in case, or am I required to put this on to continue speaking? And I'm also thinking to myself, I use a cloth mask because I know these other plastic ones have known carcinogens, nanoplastic nanoparticles that um, get caught in the lungs. And I also have a, um, you know, a medical exemption. I'm not required to wear a mask. So, but I wanted to continue speaking and sharing what I had to say about um, the brain development aspect of it. This is the this part is, where you you reacted, which is fine, perfectly human reaction, and um, and and there's the um, the brains you were talking about, your image, which yeah. board member Lindsay Mahaffey came and removed uh, after you had left in you know in tears of frustration, unfortunately, and um, ironically. Uh, right before the public comments, the board members go around in their little horseshoe shaped uh, desk area and they kind of do um, their district highlights, if you will. And some of them are speaking to emails they may have received in the past two weeks, as Jim Martin did recently, like he's answering questions. He's not necessarily typing messages, but he's doing a, a verbal uh, exchange or not exchange, but dissemination of a message. Um, and anyway, Heather Scott ended up saying something about not bullying people. And so the irony was just like, uh, um, and I have that clip here too. Let's see if the sound malfunctions for that too. Here we go. This is my um, school board representative. So everyone should know that they have one um, school board representative in Wake County. And um, while you might email them all at times, um, you should really be able to get your own politician to be able to respond back to you. So let's see if we can hear it. I want you to think about this. As we're seeing threats on social media 
as we are seeing bullying on social media, what kind of example are we collectively as parents setting? I'm not talking advocating for help. I'm not talking advocating for your positions, whatever it may be. I'm talking straight up. <laughs> All right, let's stop her. So, very interesting dynamics in the board meeting yesterday. So, and Sutton also talked about in the background. Hold on, let me stop her. No, and um, she talked about the bullying and and also, you know, when I when she brought the mask to me, there was kind of like a applause in the back, and it was it felt very condescending. And Sutton had talked about the chair, uh, Sutton, who was there, Keith, he'd said, you know, please use a decorum while um, speakers are speaking. Uh, and, you know, that was a request too. And so it was really, it, it was a little bit off-putting that I was thinking. Yeah. So no, Chair no. Sutton, just to clarify, he, he normally does that at the beginning of every um, public comment segment. He says, you know, we try to maintain decorum. I don't know if he continues to regurgitate like, the mask policy, like maybe keep it on while you're speaking. I don't know if you remember stuff like that, but that that's subject to change over time, depending on what policy they claim that they're following. Um, but he normally says you have three minutes. Uh, don't direct a specific person up here. So that's just kind of par for the course. And yes, maintain decorum. Don't heckle people. However, um, I have heard applause in the past. But when people applaud, they're applauding at the end of someone's three-minute protest to redress their grievances here in the public forum, you know, public square here, what, what's left of it. And so I, I am not a fan of when someone interrupts you, especially when you only have three minutes to make your case. And then on top of that, interrupting you and contradicting their own policies saying on their website, hey, we want you to stay distance. Um, and here you have a hypocrite coming right up to you and offering you, I thought it was a sandwich at first, honestly. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. But it happened to be an N95, was it an N95? I think it was. I, okay. And I never worn a mask like that before because they are have known carcinogens in them. And Gosh. so I would never put something like that on my face that where I would breathe in carcinogenic material and, that, and that our children are doing that all day. And that's the other thing I thought, Angela, is that I was this is where we've gone with humanity right now. And, and this is what children are experiencing every day. They're not seen as children. They're seen as vectors of disease. And what that message that it sent to me, while it might have been considerate to some people, is she was saying, I'm seeing you first as this vector of disease and not this human being who has um, something to say and something to speak. And, and that's what we've become in our society is that before we are humanity and human beings, we are uh, a vector of, of illness and disease is causing. And uh, this is just simply, these are messages that we're sending to our children that our, their bodies are keeping score of this trauma and these messages that are, are um, damaging to their psychology, to, to their developing brains and to their, um, um, mental wellness. We never, we never addressed what brought you in there. You were, you were digging into the research. You ended up going to your for, first board meeting in March of 2021. Um, did you see things happening with children in your community or your own children? Because you have kids attending this school system, right? 
Yes. Well, I, I have a, I had a young child in the school system. I've since pulled her because the, um, the policies are supportive. And I, I begged and pleaded with the, the district, the, with Wake County for six, seven months to please consider the research and the data um, okay. that shows the definite harm and uh, damage that we're inflicting on children's brains, bodies, and spirits. And when I saw that there was no change happening, I removed her, but I was starting to see just a level of anxiety and depression rising in her. And I wondered to myself, is this just my child? And then I dug into the research and saw that, you know, there was a, this last year, a statistically significant difference in the suicide rates and anxiety and depression in five to 12 year olds and 12 to 17 year olds. And they looked at those groups differently. And then I consulted with a lot of early childhood mental health colleagues and they said, we have such, it's their, their cases were not of children suffering from, you know, being sick or having sick loved ones or the trauma of, you know, undergoing um, loss and grief. It was, the, the virus mitigation mandates of isolation, physical distancing, and required masking. And this go, went along with what I knew about what children need that faces are essential for a human develop, for optimal child development. This isn't just, you know, my um, weird theory. This is, this is based on science of child development. And there are famous studies that show this. Um, I knew that, especially for young children, um, it's it's critical that that's how they assimilate the world. It's seeing the faces, how they determine if someone is safe or scary or um, or if they can approach that person. So I, I consulted with my colleagues when they were having they had wait lists of children that hundreds long that they couldn't see who were suffering mentally severely. And the, the cases that they had are of increased depression and anxiety. Um, you know, let's look at the, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris says, and if all the children are drinking from the well, we got to pay attention to what's in the well. And all of these children are experiencing these same, um, you know, damaging virus mitigation uh, mandates all over the country. So that's what got me in there was uh, speaking up because, um, you know, I, I saw the data that supported that, that showed the real damage and harm that we didn't have last year. Early on, I said, well, maybe this is just short term, but then looking at this long-term data of children really convinced me. And I also juxtaposed that research with other research that was not showing the efficacy. There's not a single controlled study out there. And I've looked at the research that shows the efficacy and effectiveness of, of requiring facial coverings for young children um, for six to seven hours a day. Uh, that shows the uh, the benefit of that for um, serious virus mitigation, and I I di simply didn't see that we were preventing serious illness and death, and e or even you know in increased sickness really, other than just the typical cold and flu that symptoms that we see in young children. Um, I'm tempted to ask you, did you hear about the guy who said it was? He said it was like in the Bible, but we don't have to get into that. I could just say that. So that was an interesting interpretation because I, I never once heard Jesus say, bring me your children as long as they're masked. Bring me your sick and weary as long as they are. You know, I never heard and, and I'm a I'm a believer and I never I never heard anywhere in the Bible where it said, come to me as long as you are protecting yourself from me. Yeah, well, the guy, the guy. um 
he was in he was a speaker in the public comments and he was pretty pretty close to the beginning which i think you were as well one of the first few speakers and he was like yeah you guys didn't come up with this great masking idea it was actually a biblical command and it was in leviticus uh so i have yet to look that up but um and i could stand corrected i you know i need to read that part of the bible I mean, if you're a believer of you know if you follow the holy bible which i don't know if you do i don't know if the viewers do it i do personally and i um i'm not i'm unashamed but uh, we are we're taught to be image bearers. So I find it very hard to believe that we would be currently commanded to hide in shame because that is like Old Testament stuff. We're really getting way off the engineer. So yes. I apologize. So I'll. No, it's okay. I thought that was an interesting interpretation. But yeah, I mean, your deeply held religious beliefs are part of your course. So it's kind of like hard to hold any of those back, I guess, in real world conversations. So yeah. um, anything you want to say about the other articles? Do you want me to zip through them quickly? Because yeah, I've already kept you very so long. This, this article is really relevant, Angela, because this was passed on by one of the best researchers I know in the field. His name is Dr. Is Mr. John Blaine. And he um, shared this article is by Arthur Furstenberg, um, who wrote The Invisible Rainbow, which is an incredible book. And he chronicles how even in hospitals, the use of facial coverings has been found deemed ineffective of preventing um, uh, the transmission of, of viruses. They have not, even in hospital settings, found these these. Uh, medical devices to be effective. And so there's tons of peer-reviewed literature here that shows that surgical face masks are are ineffective of doing what people are using them to say that they're supposed to do. And so to me, you know, a lot of people will say, well, you're anti-mask or anti-science. But to me, you know, reading the packaging on a mask that says this is not intended to uh, prevent the transmission of illness or disease and doing it anyway is not following the scientific method in science. So there's a couple really good ones here that um, just showcase that. Um, and these wow. aren't cherry picked studies. You know, these are, these are uh, meta analytic studies, which means they've looked at a large body of research and they've synthesized over maybe 20, 30, 40 studies into one study that looks at the, uh, associations and trends and themes to make sure that people have a really good understanding of what we're saying. And uh, these, you know, uh, these findings are significant and we should be making data informed oh decisions. Yeah. Look at this right here. Jeez. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is real and relevant. These, we have correlations of death. And, and so in fact, in China, they ended. And, you know, the other thing is the agencies in Europe right now, Sweden, many of the European countries, no children are wearing masks in these countries. And the WHO actually also um, does not suggest masks for children. And if, if they say, if you're gonna use this as an intervention, then you need to be collecting data, which is what Wake County is not doing, is collecting data on the, the, out, the impact, the, in, the influence of this medical intervention. And so that's something that I've pushed for as well. Like we need, if you're gonna invoke a, a medical experiment on young children, we need to be examining and evaluating this experiment that we're conducting. And we're not, and this is unethical. 
um, because we're using these children as human subjects. And this article right here, she's a renowned neurologist from Germany. And she talks about a little bit of what I, I didn't get into that aspect of brain development last night. But the young developing brain, there are literally trillions of neural connections being made every minute. What we know is that neurons, if they have a lack of oxygen, they, they wither away and die. And these neural connections don't grow back later. Either you get one chance to develop the brain, one chance for neural connections. And the most rapid occurrence of development of the brain is between birth and age eight. And there's some delayed development um, of the prefrontal cortex later on into adolescence, which is also very important for teenagers to get um, ample oxygen to the brain. But she talks about how we absolutely cannot deprive uh, any, even like a lower oxygen level. Maybe they're getting enough oxygen, but it's a lower level. They need a high level of oxygen for these neural connections to be made because these are literally the connections that that provide the foundation of a child's life. And so she talks about neural degenerative disease. It, it could be 20, 30 years from now that we see that the effects of these masks, we look at neural degenerative disease and realize, wait a minute, that came from, you know, early on when we had um, required- 18 masks. months of- Exactly. We have no long-term data or studies on the effects of masking young children. And so that is why I've also pushed for the board consistently to say, this is an experimental virus mitigation strategy. Exper it's approved for experimental use only. And we promised ourselves in 1947, when we established the Nuremberg Code, that we would not experiment on human beings without the full informed voluntary consent of human, if human beings. And we are in violation of that because the, te the CV tests and masks are only approved for experimental use only. And so requiring parents to cover the faces of their children is, is requiring them to in participate in an experiment for which we've not provided informed consent. And this German neurobiologist, neurologist, she talks about how literally we are depriving once in a lifetime chances of neural connections in the young brain of being developed. And she's, you know, I, I don't like to be a doomsday or anything, but we just don't know about the later associations with early onset dementia and neurological disorders and neuro neurodegenerative diseases. And so with that, there's a risk, there must be a choice for parents. And that's all I've ever asked for. Um, and this is just to show you what I mentioned earlier, the um, equivalent of the CDC in Europe does not require masks. They do not suggest masks for children and none of the children in Europe are wearing masks right now. And we do not see um, statistically significant differences of occurrences of the viruses, the virus occurrence in young children in Europe. And so that should be, you know, Dr. Martin used Union County the other day, but we can't, we have to stop looking at single data points and look at broad generalizable data and looking at these other countries and other states and not just, you know, in our backyard or non-control studies. We have to- or the ones that we agree with. Or the, yeah. And that's what- Wake County School Board. Yeah, that's what I've come to find, Angela, is that we don't really want to know the truth about science. We want to know science that backs up what we believe is true. And so as a science, as a social scientist, I- I have an ethical obligation to go into looking all at all of the data with an open mind, with with integrity, to to show that if I support anything or I 
give advice on anything, that there's integrity, there's reliability and validity of the data that I'm sharing. And if I saw the data and I told them last night, if I saw any data that showed that this was preventing death and, and sickness, I would not waste a second up there. I would say, okay, you know, let's let's try to mitigate the mental health impacts as the best we can because this is the number one way that we're preventing serious illness and disease. But what the science and the data are just showing, science and data are showing us that children are not um, vectors of serious illness and disease. And when they're experiencing this, it's not any more serious than a mild cold or flu-like symptoms. And in fact, the flu impacts them more than than this does. So. Um, yeah, so these are all kind of showing you countries that have similar mm -hmm. or better health outcomes than we do, Angela. Of of um, what do you what do you think about? There's a couple here that say they don't um, recommend. Well, they do. Re they don't recommend masks for kids under 13, like right here. What do you say about the older youth groups? Do oh, you, you know, know I think it's the same. I think it's you know, from my professional opinion and re what I've seen from the research, there's absolutely no benefit to anyone of any age wearing a mask, okay. you know, and they, you know, these are, these are simply to show that for that specific age group and in, in that they're recommending that not under this age, but how they've made that arbitrary designation of age is, I, is they, in the science that I read, it's, it's simply um, they're grouping and lumping those children in with the adult population. Um, but what we know is that um, their brains are still developing too, and their social and emotional development is still developing. And, you know, even for adults, we are three-dimensional beings mm -hmm. and our faces are literally the avatar with which we experience the world and make connections. And so we are living in a relationally impoverished environments when we can't make the connection of faces. And research shows us that, you know, the Tronic experiment that I talked to you about earlier, the famous experiment in the seventies that Edward Tronic did, he showed the, um, a baby and a mother, it was called the still face experiment. And the baby was trying to get the attention of the mother and the researchers instructing the mother to have a still face and not respond. And you can see, it's actually very painful to watch this, the baby getting increasingly alarmed, um, agitated and trying to get the connection of the mother. And that is just after a few seconds of not getting the engagement from the mother. And while this was on the, this study was done with infants, it has implications because other researchers have replicated these findings in young children and even in adults in a, in a partner, um, husband wife dyad they've seen the same okay. results happen when we're trying to get the, the attention of an adult um, through either through a still face or not being or being ignored um, we have um, a similar heightened anxiety and stress response in our in our brains and our bodies so and the mask is, is is certainly that when we can't reconcile the safety of our world around us we are um, are we are damaging the neurobiology of our brains that's really interesting. Um, and I pointed out to to you earlier when we talked on the phone that um, I was like, oh, gosh, it's like a scene from What's Eating Gilbert Grape where um, Arnie, I, ha I have trouble remembering his name. Arnie um, discovers that his mom, she after hiking up the long flight of stairs, she laid down in bed, which, you know, you don't lay down after you do cardio. <laughs> Uh, you keep the heart moving and then slow it down slowly. But 
but um, she um, succumbed to her probably heart heart attack and Arnie had a learning difference, um, maybe high functioning autistic and um, and he freaked out when his mom, the character didn't um, respond to him saying, wake up mom, wake up mom. And then you see him like emotionally start to unravel and panic that she, he's like, stop playing mom, you know, and it's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. Probably a lot of people have seen it, but yeah, it's a tear jerking scene. So it, if you can't picture two adults doing it or a child in a mask it, or a masked adult with a child, you know, like at least you can remember that movie scene, whatever works for the people out there. But do you think there's any end in sight, I guess, is what my main dilemma is. I feel like there's no motivation to stop because they're already ignoring the reality of the situation for so long. What do you, how do you see an end in sight or just at least unmasking? Like if we just put aside all the other stuff that's going on where they're marketing shots in schools and stuff, but just yeah. how do we get rid of the masks? do you think? Or do you think well, it will ever happen? That's a good question because, you know, we, it, we instituted this strategy because we thought that the science told us that it was effective in getting the outcome we wanted. And now we're learning on a global, on a worldwide scale that it's, they're not, we have tons of research to show us that it's not. And yet we're still not making decisions based on data informed decisions that have integrity and reliability and validity. And that's really concerning to me as a, as a social scientist, uh, because as, as educators and this, this school board, we should be using a parallel process of, you know, the reason that we teach things in school is because we believe that it's important and we're not, we're kind of throwing the, the science and logic that shows this very real harm to children out, out the window. And I think that until we can operate, here's the other thing about the brain. When the brain is in the brain, when we are in fear, which is what I saw a lot of people in last night, we're in the part of the brain that's called the brain stem. This is the base of the brain. This is fight or flight, um, anxiety uh, uh, producing status of the brain. We can't engage in thoughtful decision making and problem solving when we're in this part of the brain. The part of the brain that's involved in thoughtful decision making is the prefrontal cortex. And that requires us to be out of the brain stem. And until we can look at all of this information that we have, this new data, and look at it objectively in, in this prefrontal cortex and this thoughtful, non-fear-based state of the brain, I don't think that a lot of adults are going to be changing their mind because what we are operating out on, I hear loud and clear, the majority of the population is terrified and afraid. And so they're making decisions not based on logic and sound reason. They're making decisions based on fear. And we have to get people out of that part of the brain in order to engage in a more logical debate and dialogue because the science isn't settled on this and science should be questioned and investigated. And right now we're, you're, we're being told we're anti-science if you're questioning the mainstream narrative. And I've heard many of the board members say they're going to be masked until they're all vaxxed. Well, there's another medical experiment that mm -hmm. we're 
saying we're going to mandate. So that's even scarier for me because this is medical apartheid and discrimination. And we're already practicing medical discrimination and, and experimenting on young children with these masks. And without informed and voluntary consent, we're in violation of several international codes. So I, I always hope and believe that truth will prevail. It's like the sun and the moon. You can't hide it. And I hope that the, the thing that makes me sad is that I think that a lot more damage is going to happen and a lot more mental health crises and the, the population is going to have to come to fruition. And it's going to take a lot more crisis of conscience and data that shows the harm right out in front where people are engaged in this thoughtful decision making place to realize we've the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting a different outcome. And I hope that we we can get there. But I hope it's not at the answer and the solution, which I've heard a lot of at these board meetings of I they're gonna wear this mask until all everybody is vaxxed, it, which I I don't think the science is telling us that that's a very safe decision from what I've seen um, in a lot of peer reviewed journal articles and a lot of other data. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw already, but um, you, you remember um, in the beginning of all this, like there's a picture of the governor of the state, like marching and protests with no mask on, but everybody around him was wearing a mask. So. <laughs> Rules for me, uh, not for, for me. Yeah, so someone just pointed me to a picture before we got got on the live stream, and um, my my NC senator uh, Sarah Crawford posted a picture on her Facebook page of her young child, maybe ten to twelve years old, hugging Roy Cooper, both people unmasked, and another one of the scenarios: rules for the return of the rules for the governor. So it's so ridiculous, like us plebeians are fighting for just an option. We're not even saying, hey, do it my way. Yes. We're just saying, let me just have the option to say yes or no. Because there might be there might be like a NCSU game that you might want to go to, but it's a little close for comfort and you might want to wear something. Yeah. But um, why can't people, choice. huh? That should be your choice. I didn't mean to interrupt you, I'm sorry. Yeah, why can't people just voluntarily voluntarily decide? And um, I was debating Jim Martin this evening in an email, and he was trying to make some sort of comparison to the flu. And, you know, if, if this was the flu, we'd be sending children home. And I'm like, this is not comparable to the flu. And if, if, if uh, hundreds of children in Wake County schools were plagued with the flu, um, they're going to opt to stay home on their own because the flu is so debilitating. Then coupled with the side effects of being on the medication to combat the flu, like that problem fixes itself. People are not going to go out to school. But when he, he and other board members across the state or across the country start, start talking about only cases and not talking about uh, symptoms versus no symptoms, that is very bothersome. They're not looking at actual illnesses, for example. They're just counting, and it's a cumulative number, and they're just hoping we go along with it forever, apparently, unfortunately. Right. And, you know, if you look at, I talked about this in other, um, uh, you know, I'm very well trained in the scientific method, and 
all of this is, and I won't get too deep into it, we're, he's talking about cases, but we're also using a test that is a fraudulent medical test. And I don't know if you've done any research into it, but the inventor of the test, Carrie Mullis, even said this test that we're basing all these cases on is not intended to indicate the presence of infectious disease or illness. It's a test that spins and looks at the RNA um, DNA particulate of any individual. And so the more you, more cycles, you hold it at a 45 cycle, that's not the same fidelity of a 25 cycle. And so you're, you're comparing apples to oranges. Oh, and so no. we are- No, I didn't know that. We are using a scientifically fraudulent test that's changing the livelihoods of all individuals. And this is, this is where I, I don't spend a lot of time at this at the school boards, but the science of this from the beginning and how we're making decisions about public health and good is based on a scientifically fraudulent test. That's not, in, it's being used incorrectly. And, and even if we go beyond that, I agree with you, Angela, these, what does this case means that you tested positive for a specific RNA particulate that doesn't tell you that you have something. It says that the particular RNA strand is present in the outcome, the results of this test. And so I, I hope people will look into that and in, in research and um, it, tr real science doesn't fear investigation. You know, it's uh, this, this, um, theme lately of, oh, don't do your own research and don't, you know, look into, um, and trust us. this is, this is scary. You know, we, in the idea of misinformation, you know, there's, there's information and we should trust the public to be able to read and investigate and look and determine and, and parents to decide as they always have what's best for their children, just like the flu, like if you were going to keep your child at home, we've always trusted parents to make those decisions. And we've pretty much fared well in schools. You know, we haven't had mass deaths or mass severe illness or things like that ever. So why are we doing this different now? Because we're showing that this, this occurrence of this, you know, pathogenic entity that it's, this test supposedly identifies Children are simply not carriers of this at statistically significant margins. And when they get it, they're not getting any more ill than they would with the flu, which we've said is a reasonable risk that we're willing to send children to school and then mm -hmm. keep them home if they have it. So, you know, that's the other thing is we are designed to get sick. The body, we're designed to heal four times a year, like the changing of the trees, the like the leaves and the changing of the seasons, our bodies and cells are designed to heal. And the sickness is the healing that happens when your cells regenerate. Our cells are pleomorphic in nature. And so they go from bacteria to virus, to fungi, to back to cell. Um, that's the beautiful design of our bodies. And I want people to understand that. I know I'm a little off topic, but. No, that's, I agree. I, I had one more question. I feel like it was about one of the school board communications, but I forgot, I lost my train of thought, but um, it wasn't a huge deal. Um, do you have any closing thoughts that you want to share with the world? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, oh, I, uh, how about, how about before you do your closing thought, will you share um, why, why people like you might get involved and can stand firm and not hopefully not risk their employment? Like, would you encourage other working people to get involved and come forward and 
perhaps be your ally. I would. I, I can't tell you, Angela, since I started speaking in March, I've heard from parents and professionals all over the country, and they all have a resounding um, concern. They're concerned if they speak out that their children will receive retribution or um, unfair treatment in the schools. They're concerned about um, backlash on them personally. Um, I know many people who are in higher public um I have a good friend who, you know, is in a more politi political um, arena. And so she's afraid to speak out for the uh, repercussions that would happen um, because his parents are relying on the livelihoods of their jobs. And they don't, I, I completely, I, I'm one of those people, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that what I, that's why every time I've shared, I've always tried to share the data and the science and the research about what children need and what the benefits and costs and the risks and not anything, you know, political or because if we really, um, if we really stand together and illuminate truth, it, truth is, is like the sun and the moon. Like I said earlier, it can't be hidden. And if we, there is no such thing as the science. I want people to understand you may be um, chastised and put down and called labeled an anti this or an anti that. And I want people to understand that people like me are not anti anything. We are for uh, children and humanity and for science, um, good, the scientific method coming to fruition and for decisions to be made that good, reliable science and valid science, science that's done with integrity is is in, is indicating and that not all science is created equal we you really have to dig in and see is there was there a control group was there a um a, a double blind study you know who funded this research and this science did they have any um you know uh, extra um agendas that we might want to know about so i i know i'm, I'm going a little bit around but i want parents and, and advocates alike um you know there there aren't a whole lot of people child development experts speaking out on this there are a few like myself uh, but i would encourage you to keep speaking out for what you know is best for your child and what you're experiencing in your child and your because that's qualitative data that's qualitative science and all of these case studies together you know give us um a grounded theory and understanding about what's best for children and um, we are the experiment right now. You know, that's that's the sad thing is that we're experimenting on children. We're gathering this data and I hope that we can do right by them. Um, but with, you know, people who are speaking up, thank you for your bravery and your courage um, for continuing to um, fight for the, the right to choice where there's there's risk for harm for children. I think that's really important. So, uh, yeah. Um, I was going to ask another thing, but I, your lightning behind your head honestly distracted me. It looks so cool. Truth <laughs> <laughs> is like lightning. It cannot be hidden. Oh, I know what it was because you were talking about choice. And so I normally advocate for school choice and money following children, which is totally a different subject. But um, choice seems very key and like totally a no brainer and kind of the same trend where one size doesn't fit all, like all people cannot wear a mask, yet government is still forcing this one size fits all um, 
not platform, I can't think of the word, but this thing on people, yeah. this when they're they're not learning, they're not evolving. That that uh, and so you're you're leaving. You withdrew your child. You chose another school. I'm assuming you're paying for a private school now. Is that a good? Is that an option? Good option for you and working well for your children, hopefully. Luckily, I, I won the lottery, and I literally and figuratively the a, for a charter school. Awesome. And they are very, very much more open-minded and open to choice, parent choice, which a lot of private schools are. You know, we've seen a mass exodus from public education. Enrollment is down almost 18% nationwide. And this should be very telling to our public schools that the parents are, they want the choice. They want the choice for their children to choose the medical interventions that they feel are right for them. Right. Um, there is risk. There should always be choice. And that's the only thing that we're really advocating for. And, you know, I think the last thing I'll say, too, is I do a lot of research and training on trauma and on resilience in young children. One of the most dangerous things I've heard people say is, oh, children are resilient. They'll be fine. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just a mask. It's not just a mask for a child who's experiencing significant traumatic events in their lives. It's not just a mask for a child who has special needs or developmental delay. It's not just a mask for a child who has sensory deprivation, um, uh, uh, integration um, challenges. It's not just a mask for a child who um, is has fear and anxiety. It's, it's literally a layer of trauma on top of layer of trauma on trauma. And the body keeps score of that trauma. It's it's not like, oh, it doesn't matter. They're just, we, we have thought for a long time. It doesn't matter what happens when they're children because they grow into adults and they forget all that stuff. Memory, you might, but the body remembers. And, mm-hmm. and, and it manifests itself psychosomatically, either physically through illness later on, mentally through cognitive um delays or capacities or degenerative disorders. There's hundreds of ways that trauma manifests um, in the body physically and mentally later on. And so that's one of the things that children have the capacity to be resilient if they have the right protective factors in their lives, but they're not born naturally resilient. And that's a very dangerous thing for us to say. It's, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, they're resilient. They'll be fine. Like, resilience researchers would not agree with you. (laughs) They have the capacity to be resilient. If they have all of these other things going on, but we can we can ensure that all these children that are wearing the masks to school, that their level of trauma, it might be so high that this is pushing them over the edge. And we're not collecting data on that. We're not we're not doing our due diligence to make sure that we're protecting these kids from this layer of trauma that they may be experiencing. Okay, okay. Well, we need to have you come back and maybe when another study comes out or yeah. Um, if you get publicly shamed again at another school yeah. board meeting, because you have like a wealth of information um, and it just comes freely for you. <laughs> well, I stand on the shoulders of giants have taught me and researchers and um, it's a privilege to be able to speak with you, Angela, and to advocate for children and, and their families. I've spent my whole career committed to this. So Likewise. It's, um, well, don't stop whatever you do. I will. <laughs> All right, Dr. Wilcher, it was wonderful having you on and come back soon. And to the viewers, don't forget to share with your friends because that's a lot of great information. Should we um, leave your contact info, like an email address in the comments? If sure. people want yeah. to talk to you, do you have time to answer their questions if they are so inclined? Yeah. 
Yes, yes. Um, and let me just see how I do this. I'll try to leave it. It's hollyhigginswilcher at gmail.com. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to add, I'm going to download everything and I'll it. add it afterwards on the back end. Well, thank you so much. And I hope to see um, maybe a viral video at your charter school board meeting in the future, too. <laughs> yeah, I may need to. <laughs> All right. See you soon. Thank Bye. you so much, Angela. Take care.